Good morning, everybody. My name is Kirk. I'm on the preaching team, and uh, there's a lot of new faces here, so it's always fun to get to share things with people that don't know a lot about you. So I've got a problem, this problem I've had my whole life, because the way that God made me is I really like to know how things work. And I also want others to know how they work. And if they don't want to know how they work, I want them to at least know that it's possible, and I want them to have a desire to want to know how things work. (laughs) Why that becomes a problem is because not everybody always wants to know what you want to know. And when you try to tell somebody something they don't want to know before they want to know it, it can cause stress and frustration. And so I've lived with this burden my whole life, and it's gotten me into trouble at different times. And I could tell you a bunch of stories, but one happened a couple months ago. We were in a business meeting, and my team members told me that a customer was going to say something that wasn't true and that I wasn't going to like it and just to just not interrupt or say anything. And I was prepared for it, and I thought, okay, I can handle this. And so we get into the meeting, and the customer does what they said he was going to do. And, and I was like, afterwards, I was like, how would I do? I didn't say anything. And they're like, you were twitching when he was talking. I was like... <laughs> So, everything I share today, just know that I'm sharing out of my weakness and my problem. And I've seen too much, and I know too much, and I can't articulate it as well as I would like to. So, no matter how good or how badly I do today, it's going to be incomplete. And, and God's got more. He's got so much more for us. And so, what I want to do is I want to share some pictures and some illustrations that I think will be memorable and make sense and be easy to digest and take home with you. My hope is that they will provoke you to be interested and to desire to do all the things we talked about in worship, to move outside your comfort zone, to get pregnant with new ideas and testimonies and concepts of what God may want to do in your life. And before I get to some of those illustrations, I felt led to share this one story. This happened about five or six weeks ago. For those of you that know Ty, that just moved back down here, we had a an experience that was reminiscent of our 20s, and he he's staying at his his aunt's house down in in uh, Surfside, and so he invited us to come down, and we get down there and we're hanging out, and he goes, "Hey, we want to take you out to the sandbar," and I was like, "What? Where's the sandbar? How far out is that? What are we talking about?" And which there's three boats, and one the big one's broken. I'm like, "Which boat are we going in?" And how many of us are going? And he's like, that's okay. That boat can handle all these people. And I was like, yeah, but what's the weight limit on it? And, and what are we going to do with the kids? And, and so, make a long story short, we end up in this little fishing boat. We, we've got almost all the seats filled. And we've got three or four kids pulling behind the little fishing boat on an inflatable trampoline. And he's like, yeah, it's just right out there. It doesn't take long. We just Because when he would go out there, we just... A couple of people in the boat, they'd get out there in about two minutes. But when you're pulling a heavy inflatable trampoline with three kids on it, and you've got more people in the boat than you had before, it takes a lot longer to get out there. So we get out there, and, and we're on the sandbar, and I'm like, okay, we made it. Let's just, I'll give them 10 minutes, and then I'll start pushing to get back in, because I'm not comfortable. <laughs> and so we ended up staying out there about 20 minutes. And then we get back in the boat, and all of a sudden we realize that something's wrong with the trampoline. We can't get it to move. 
And for whatever reason, they built this inflatable trampoline with a bottom in it, and water had been getting in the trampoline. I don't know how it got there, but it had several hundred gallons of water. So we, we, we're trying to all, we're all, all these adults with these little kids are standing out in an area that I'm not going to name yet because it'll make the story even richer in a moment. But we're trying to move this trampoline, and then somebody notices there's a plug on the bottom. So I'm standing underneath it trying to brace this thing up, and we're, we're pouring water out. And for about five minutes, we're like, it's not even making a dent in this. So I was like, okay, we're going to get everybody back to shore. Let's get safe, and then we'll figure out plan B. So we do that, and we get all the kids back and our wives. And I told Ty, I'll go back out with you, and I'll help you retrieve the trampoline. Well, we get out there, and we're having a little fun because the two of us in there, we open it up, and, you know, and it's like, man, this is fun. And we get out there, and, like, this is going to be no big deal. We're just going to hook up. We'll use the power of the motor to pull it back. He jumps out, and he starts. For some reason, he was able to move the trampoline by himself off the sand, but it took him a minute. I was trying to turn the boat around to get positioned to start pulling while he was pushing. And this happened four or five times. I would get out of the boat and push away from the sandbar and get in the boat and then start the engine and try to pull off, and all of a sudden, I'd be back on the sandbar. I mean, like, it just kept happening over and over again, and then he was getting concerned that I was going to turn the engine on and, and ruin the motor, so he's like, let me do this in case something goes wrong. So then he gets in the boat, and then the engine won't start. And so then he's like, okay, maybe we're out of gas. So we put some gas in the, in the, in the motor, and we finally are able to get it to start. And while he's driving, I'm holding on to this rope, like, trying to keep it out of the propeller, pulling on it. It's really hard to do. And... We're, we start going, and the engine is letting us know that it does not, is not enjoying this. And, and so we're pulling on this rope, on this trampoline, and I'm looking at the front of the boat. It's kind of like really high up in the air. And I look back, and there's water coming in the back of the boat. <laughs> and I notice there's bubbles coming up through the, through the water, and there's a plug down in the water that has somehow become loose. And so... We put the rope down, and I jump back there to start trying to close up the plug, and it feels like something's biting me. I'm like, ow, what is that? What is that? Well, there's a battery cable going through the water, and I'm getting shocked by the battery cable. <laughs> so we move the battery cable out of the water. This is back like we were in our 20s, I'm telling you. <laughs> we get the battery cable out of the water, and I get the plug pretty much closed where the bubbles are just, you know, there's a little bit of water leaking in and not a lot. And he starts driving. I'm holding onto the rope. And, no, I think he started holding on to the rope, and then I started trying to bail water while he's driving back to shore. And that's not going very fast, so I take this little shrimp bucket we had, and I said, can I sacrifice the shrimp? And I start using that, and then all of a sudden, the shrimp bucket just flies out of my hand. And, we're, <laughs> and all along the way, the engine was, like, wanting to die. It took, like, 30 minutes to get back in what should have taken five minutes. And it, it was a funny story, and Ty's like, this is going to end up in a sermon. And I was like, yeah, I just don't know how. And then the Lord put it together with Romans 12, 1 and 2 for me. And so, actually, Romans 12, chapter 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And God was speaking to me through the tide. I didn't tell you where we were. When we got out there on the sandbar, I realized we were at the San Luis Pass, and it just didn't daunt. Four people have died there in the last few weeks because of the riptide current. And we've got like five or six kids out there, and I'm just like, man, we're winning Parents of the Ward, you know, trophy today. 
Yeah, it was crazy. That's why I was so nervous while we were out there. I wasn't going to say anything to y'all. But this, we were not, this was just not a good place to be. But thankfully, the boat didn't start sinking and the engine didn't start failing until we had our wife and children, wives and children off the boat. But God was just speaking to me through that current. And even when we don't see it, the tide is moving against us regardless of what you do. And you can't choose to not conform unless you are being transformed. There's no, well, I'm not going to be transformed, but I'm also not going to conform. If you're not being transformed, you are being conformed. And you will be moved away from your inheritance unless you move against the tide that is moving you. And the kingdom is your inheritance. And for those of you that don't know me, I am passionate about the kingdom because I've things that I've seen, God's shown me, and it's my conviction and my belief that most believers don't know the fullness of what their inheritance is. So I feel like an attorney going around, and I want to talk to everybody and say, hey, guess what? You had an heir that died and left you this whole estate, and you're living over here like this, and you really could be living over here like this. And that's my hope today is to get some of that across. The two scriptures that I'm, we're not going to read, but I'm going to reference is John 3, when Nicodemus came to talk to Jesus at night. He was a really respected, esteemed religious leader in the world system, in the Jewish world system. And it was not cool for him to be seen with Jesus. So he had to go undercover at night to talk to Jesus. And then Mark 4, which is my favorite chapter in the Bible, because Jesus said it contains the most important parable that he ever told. And it's a key to unlocking other scriptures. And so the... One thing that I noticed when I was thinking about these two passages, I, I, I saw a correlation that I'd never seen before. The understanding and the wisdom, the explanation of what Jesus was doing and saying did not come until people got alone with him, away from the distractions and the competing influences and people and relationships, and they sat at his feet and they asked questions. And they said, what, what do you mean by that? I want to understand. There was a price to pay. Nicodemus paid a price. He put himself at risk, his reputation, his job, his safety. And there's a price to pay that we'll all face, especially as things are getting crazier in the world. But not from a fear-based standpoint. There's a price to pay to get the riches. There, one of the parables that Jesus told was that the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. And that a man stumbled across it. And when he stumbled across it, he realized... He hid it back and then went and sold all that he had so that he could legally possess the field so that he could have the treasure. It's like, kind of like going to a garage sale and you see this ugly painting in a, sitting over in a box and you turn it over and it's got Picasso written on the back or something. You don't go up to him and say, hey, how much do you want to sell this multi-million dollar Picasso for? You say, I'll give you five bucks for it. And you let him go, right? So if I told you that right now that there was money hidden in this room and all you had to do was look for it, Underneath your seat, what would you do? A couple of people are doing it. If you believed the words that I was speaking to you, you would act on those words and you might inherit or receive a treasure. And I just encourage you to meditate on that. And, and, and as the Lord leads you, just do what you feel led to do. But the longer you wait, the more chance that somebody else is going to find your treasure. I mean, all you have to do is stick your hand underneath your seat and just see, is there anything underneath... <laughs> Your seat. Colby, you could do it too, bud. Just stick your hand underneath your seat and see if there's anything underneath your seat. 
Now, how did that happen, Colby? <laughs> what just happened, you heard some information, you acted on the information, and you received an impartation, right? Okay? You're not the only one. There's at least one other person that can do that in here today. <laughs> Somebody will find it eventually, but this is what the kingdom looks like. It's not sitting in your chair waiting for everything to be perfect for a ceremony or a ritual. It is when he speaks, go catch the first fish that you throw your hook into the water and find. If Jesus had said to all the fishermen, go down to the river, go down to the sea and throw in a hook and the first fish you catch will have a gold coin, there'd be a hundred people, a thousand people doing it. But he said it to one person who had a specific need that had asked a question and that need was met. And that's a picture of the kingdom. This week, Angie and I got to spend some time with other believers and, and just hear some incredible testimonies. And one of them was from a wife whose husband had, was, had a, a routine medical procedure, colonoscopy, and the doctor had clipped an artery during it and didn't ad admit it. And several days went by, and then he started bleeding out, and, he, and they rushed to the hospital, and he was, he was literally bleeding out. And he was about to die. And some other things happened, and all of a sudden her spirit was quick, and she said, oh, no, 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 this is not what our inheritance is and she started warring and she started speaking and she started acting and it saved her husband's life and he's a new man because of it and and he had faith too but he's ever since that happened he's a new and even more transformed man there was a a young man sitting next to me a younger man he was 10 years younger than I am and he was sharing a testimony of how they wanted to get out of debt and so they felt led to sow a seed into someone else's life who was having struggles with debt to help deliver them and believe that God would do the same thing for them. And they received a hundred times re return. hundredfold does not mean a hundred times, but in this one instance, it was a hundred times. They got a hundred times more than what they had sown into that person's life. And God delivered them. And I was provoked to jealousy because I had lived longer than him and I knew more than he did. Not, I mean, I just knew that I knew more than... And I had experienced more, and I was like, he's experiencing more than what I've been experiencing lately. And God reminded me of the parable of when the, the vineyard owner went out to find workers for his vineyard. And he hired someone at the start of the day, and he went out every couple of hours, and he hired more people. And at the end of the day, he lined them up so that the people that started first would be last in line, and they would see the, the last people to show up on the job site at 4 o'clock get the same wage as those that have been working since 8 o'clock. And when you interpret that parable as meaning that Jesus is talking about heaven, then it kind of makes sense. Okay, God wants everybody to go to heaven, and you shouldn't be offended if somebody receives salvation before, you know, right before they die, and you've known Jesus your whole life. But that is salvation from hell and going to heaven when you die is a part, but it is not the total of the inheritance that is ours in the kingdom and so the Lord is speaking he's like he was provoking me and I'm provoked I want more I want the more that God has for me I want the more that God has for our our church our house I want the more that God has for our city and for our nation and some of the testimonies that I heard I really wouldn't even feel comfortable sharing with you they might be offensive to you just some of the things that people received. Here's one I don't think will be offensive. This is a really cool one. This guy was a home builder, and he and his wife, were, had, they, they built really nice homes, and they were building a custom home, 
And there was a fa- they dug a foundation, and they went out to inspect the earthwork before they were going to pour the concrete, and it was full of water. And he's like, what's going on? And the neighbor walks over, and she had built her house, and she said, oh, yeah, this whole area is covered in underground springs. I've got three sump pumps in my basement alone, and they're running all the time. And they were like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? This is not going to work. We can't build a house like this and sell it for what we were going to sell it, knowing all this. And... So they're sitting there, and they're praying, and they're staying, like, God was reminding them all the things that they'd been trained on in their church and faith. And all of a sudden, he goes, ha, <laughs> ha. His wife said, what? He said, well, if God can make water come out of a rock, he can make water go back into a rock. He said, God, I just ask you to put that water back in that rock and, and just solve this problem. In Jesus' name, amen. And they came back the next day, and all the water was gone except for just a little trickle. And the day, next day after that, it was completely dried up. God cares about all the little things in our lives. He cares about the wisdom that you need to negotiate a business deal. He cares about which way to go down a street so you don't get struck by another car. He cares about what food you put in your body. He cares about what advice you take from a medical professional. He cares about who we vote for. He, he care, the kingdom is not about something that happens when we die. He cares about every little thing. And there is a process that the kingdom works by that is replicable. And I hate to talk about that because my religious training ears automatically start to get critical and say, oh, you're talking about formulas. God's not a formula. It's all about heaven. It is a personal relationship with Jesus. But he operates in this realm through a thing called his government, his kingdom. And his government is established on his word, which is his law. He cannot violate his law. So is there anything that God can't do? Yeah, he can't violate his law. He can't lie. There is at least one thing that God can't do. And God said that he gave the earth to us. And he put us in a place of authority. And he designed it so that we would rule and reign with him through a relationship. But when our ancestors, Adam and Eve, and we were in Adam and Eve, by the way, when we rebelled, we cut off that relationship, but we didn't give up our role as still being the rulers of this earth. We just no longer had the ability to rule. And it says in the word, you become a slave of him whom you obey. And Satan knew that. Satan knows the law better than any of us. And so it's not to be discouraging. This is, in, this is exciting because once you see the pattern of the kingdom and you see that it applies to every area of life, no matter how old you are, what gender you are, there's only two, by the way, male or female, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can stand on the word of God and you can plant the seeds. And that's what he said in Mark 4. Just to summarize it is that God's kingdom works on sowing and reaping for finances, for health, for salvation. It's what does God say in heaven? It gets heard by us on earth. We believe it. We speak it. We stand on it. We don't make seeds grow. We don't give them the ability to grow. That's something that the sovereign Lord does. But when we plant them, we're participating in his process. And it says at the end of Mark chapter 4, the kingdom of God is like, like a field owner who scattered seed And day and night he watered it. And he doesn't know how, but the seed grew. And this is what I'm talking about with, I don't feel like I fully know how to say all that I've seen or that I see in my spirit or that I know is possible. But I just, I'm standing out in my heart and I'm looking out over the fields and I'm going, whoa, there's so much for us to receive and to have. We 
not, that not in condemnation, but our, our thinking really needs to go. God wants to take it to a whole nother level where any, any area of our life that, is, that feels dead, not alive, or not full of abundance, the kingdom's not there. There's seeds that need to be sown. There's, a, there's, there's vision and blessings and work that God wants to do in those areas. But you can't. Another thing about seed is you can't make seed. Seed comes from something that God's already created or spoken. So you have to be willing to receive seed. So if you don't have something in your life, you have to be willing to receive. You have to hear about it from someone else's life. That's why we need the body of Christ. That's why um, church is so important. We minister in and to and through one another. And God brings things to it. He'll do something in one person's life. God wants to use us, the church, to provoke the Jews to jealousy because originally he went to them and they didn't pay attention. So he said, okay, I'm going to go deal with the Gentiles and then y'all will get jealous and then I'll come back and I'll deal with you. Jealousy is not wrong. Jealousy is wanting something that's yours. Envy is a sin. It's wanting something that is not yours. So God wants us to be jealous for the things that he's promised us. If you saw your spouse cheating on you, you would be jealous because they are yours. They don't belong to that other person. There's nothing wrong with being jealous. It's envy that gets us into trouble. And God wants us to be jealous for the things that he has for us. One aspect of the kingdom that's very important to understand and enter into how it all works is being fully persuaded. And if you go to Romans 4.21, this is talking about, I'm going to start at verse 20. This is talking about Abraham. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced, some translations say persuaded, that what he, whose God, had promised, he was also able to perform. I really like that definition of what faith is. It's being fully persuaded. Once being fully persuaded is a key to unlocking what heaven wants on earth. If I told you, man, that screen is beautiful. Don't y'all just love that fuchsia pink screen? It's so beautiful today. How many of y'all would be like, huh? You're like, either he's colorblind or he's making an illustration or something. What if I told you that Mr. Crayola had lied to us all and he changed the colors years ago in kindergarten and that's really fuchsia pink and you've been lied to your whole life and I'm here to set you free. How many of you would be moved? I mean, would I even like get one millimeter inside your belief system? You'd be like, (laughs) that's what being fully persuaded is. You are fully persuaded that that's not fuchsia pink. So when the enemy comes and says you're a failure, you're going to die of this. You're not going to make it. God doesn't love you. There's no freedom. There's no hope. Uh-huh. Being fully persuaded is going, <laughs> that's so stupid. No, no. So I want to show you another illustration of what being fully persuaded looks like. And I'll be honest, this is not practiced or rehearsed. This could fall flat on its face, but I think it won't. And I think it'll be memorable to you. Riley, I want you to come up here. I did not prep her for this. She is, she is prepared, but not because I gave her any hint or anything about what I was going to do. But I'm going to invite you all to compete against Riley in the open and close challenge. And I'm just going to simply ask a question 10 times, open or closed, and I'm going to give you the opportunity, Hannah, you, those that are know what is going on, that have participated in youth group ministry, keep quiet. 
Simple question. Open or closed? If you say open, raise your hands. I know you don't understand. That's right. You got to open your... Is, is this open or closed? All the people that know what the answer is are raising their hands. Okay. Open or closed? Open or closed? Y'all got one out of three right. Open or closed? You're not supposed to participate. All right, y'all are not doing very good, so I'm going to let, let Riley demonstrate to you what being fully persuaded is. Riley, is this open or closed? Okay. Is this open or closed? Is this open or closed? Okay, she got all those right. Did she stress out at all? Did she, did she seem nervous? Did she seem unsure? Did she at all, any point, give you the impression she didn't know what was going on? Did, at, was at any point, did she look or act like all of y'all? No. <laughs> Go sit down. So the secret of that game, we do this in youth group, and, and I'm, I'm only doing it because there's no other youth here that would, except Colby, you might have had the chance to hear at one point, but you, we, we did this, and, and I mean, we went on for like 20 minutes, and you get the kids, they think they got it figured out because they'll guess right a couple times, and then when they finally realize they don't have it right, they get upset. And I was one of those. I was because I, I was like, surely there's a everybody's paying attention to what's going on with the bottle. The question is, what's going on with my mouth? Open or closed? Is this open or closed? Is this open or closed? Jesus was like that. He was watching what and hearing what his father was doing and saying. And every time God told him to do something different in the natural, it wasn't a formula, but it was a pattern, and it was based on a relationship. And the results in the natural were victorious, accomplished results, walking on water, dominating every single time. There's a problem in my body. Okay, victory. There's a problem at work. Okay, victory. There's a problem in society. Okay, victory. That is a picture of the kingdom. God really finances. Finances seem to be one of the most uh, controversial topics in the church. But I'm telling you, God wants so much more for us. We are, we're not at the level of financial increase that God has for us. And I, 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 this is not the time to go into it, but I just want to speak that that is an important area in all of these different things that it looks crazy when God gets involved. Heard a, I met a one of the men that I got to spend some time with, his wife had had a 13-pound tumor in her abdomen. It was affecting her spine, and she carried it for like three or four years. They went to multiple doctors, couldn't figure out what it was. And then one day, she was like, I've had enough. And she turned off every, I mean, she got like Smith Wigglesworth. No newspapers, no social media, no news, no nothing. She put scriptures all over her walls, and she just began to speak and meditate and declare the word of God for 30 days. And then they had a special service to pray for her. And she went to that service, and they laid hands on her and prayed. And she said, I believe I received my healing tonight. She went home, still had that tumor in her abdomen. They took a picture of her that night. She looks like she's pregnant. When she woke up in the morning, that tumor was gone. And she was 13 pounds lighter. 
the kingdom of God works. And that's what it looks like. A family was believing for freedom and victory in their finances because they'd been struggling in debt. This guy was a mechanic. And they, they sowed a seed and they prayed and they believed that God was going to bring something. And they had learned just to be on the lookout. God does things in unusual ways. So he's at his, he's at his shop and he's working. And this, and this customer comes in and starts sitting down in his office and talking to him, and which is not really normal for customers to come in and sit down and talk like that. And this guy's an older gentleman, and he's tired, and he's frustrated. And he's like, yeah, I'm just having trouble with all my cows, and I'm just so, I'm done with cows. I'm getting out. I'm giving you all my cows. I'm giving you 23 head of cattle. They're yours. My fences are broken, and they're all out in the neighbor's field. You go get them, and they're all yours. And he's like, I'm a mechanic. I haven't lived on a farm for years. I'm not really into cows. Guess what? He sold those cows for $20,000 to a family member who was believing God for a herd of cattle because getting a herd of cattle is different than going and buying individual animals. It, all the agricultural people came and can just give, just give me an exclamation mark there. And got $20,000 exactly the amount that they were believing for. When God multiplied the oil for the widow in the Old Testament, when did the oil stop? when the buckets stopped, when they ran out of jars to fill. All I want to leave you all with today is that God's kingdom is peculiar and particular, and it operates according to his laws. And I want us to become hungry, so hungry that we are willing to get out of our seat, that we are willing to get out of our head, our identity, our comfort zone, what we know, what we think is possible, what we believe is possible, what we believe is the norm, and enter in, and, and just let God speak to us however he wants to speak to us. Part of the way you do that, it, learn from these testimonies, is get God's promises and speak them out. Print them out. Write them out. Put them on your doorposts. Speak them. Let them become louder than social media and the news and all the talking heads that are in our day. Another thing is expose yourself to other people's testimonies. Allow yourself to get provoked by somebody who is younger than you in the Lord or, you know, in a totally different, who doesn't even need money, but yet God did something for him. God does not want us to be in debt. He wants us to have abundance. He wants us to be generous on every occasion. We can't do that if we just have enough. That's a lie that religion has sold the church. And, and, as, and so I, there's that, I'm just sharing all that from that problem that, that I, I want to know how things work, and I believe I've seen how things, I believe that God has answered this question definitively, that his kingdom works according to laws, and the, the good thing about laws is that laws do not discriminate. That's why we want laws. Laws don't discriminate based on our age or our net worth or what country we come from or the color of our skin or our education level or anything. That's what makes a nation a law abiding nation is that everybody has equal rights to justice. And that's what makes the good news good news and exciting to me is because if it's good for you, it's good for me. If it works for you, it'll work for me. I'm going to close with one final example, Romans 10.10. 10. And this is a safe example that most of the church already is in agreement with. And it has to do with salvation. And I'll use a personal experience. Uh, example, but let me read you the verse first. Romans 10.10 says, it's with the heart that one believes to righteousness. NIV says, one believes and is justified. 
And it's with the mouth that confession is made to salvation. So you can be a believer and you can have justification. But salvation doesn't happen until you confess what you believe in your heart is true. My dad was a believer his whole life, but he had not confessed his sin and confessed Christ. And he asked me to pray with him about three or four, five years before he passed. And there was a total change that came out. He was a totally new man than who I had known him the first 62 years of his life. Well, I wouldn't lie, 62 years, so it was 40-something years. But the point is that even salvation from sin and the promise of eternal life after this life comes through the same process. You have to believe with, with your heart, and you can't just choose to believe. You have to believe something that heaven has said. So you have to believe what God says, and then it has to become real in you. And the way that you do that is by meditating on it and letting the seed stay in your heart. Don't let the seed get plucked out just because somebody gets on the news and says that somebody else is more powerful than God, and we can't get together for church anymore because it, or, or the, the sky is falling and all these bad things are happening in other places, and, and it's going to be on your doorstep anytime soon. And I mean, there's lots of bad things going on in the world. I'm not denying that. But none of that should get in between this and this. When all that gets crazy, we got to keep our eyes laser focused on him. And, and we just say, if he says go, step right, step left, he will walk us through the, every trap and every snare that the enemy has placed for us. But he has so much more for all of us. And again, I've seen more than what I can even verbalize. And I just, I want to be a good steward of what it, I've seen and what I know. And I want to tell others. And I know most of the people in here are believers. So if, you, if there's anybody who hears this online or has not yet come to that place of confessing Christ as your Savior, that is the first step. That's what qualifies you as a citizen for everything that he has for you. And I, I, I told a lie, so y'all can forgive me and practice uh, releasing people from sin. But Galatians 4, chapter 1, has one more cool thing that ties in with what we said about Abraham. And I, I, meant to, I meant to share this. If you are Christ's, we become Christ when we confess Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as an heir is a child, does not differ at all from a servant, even though the heir is master of all. But a child is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. But we have to receive it. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. See, in the Old Testament, they related to him as Lord and God. We get to relate to him as Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God used a virgin to bring a savior. He used an elderly couple that should have been way past childbearing age to birth a nation. Abraham, under the name Abram, carried a promise for 20-something years that he was going to be a father of a great nation. And it wasn't until God came to him and said, okay, 
I want you to be circumcised, and every male in all of your family and all your servants. And, and by the way, we're going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, from father to father of many. And within several months of a 99-year-old man getting circumcised and changing his name, his wife was pregnant, and she was 90-something years old. That's crazy. That doesn't happen in the natural. God wants to do, we're heirs. We are heirs. What he did for Abraham, he wants to do for us. He wants to bless the work of our hands. We, we have legal right to enter into everything that our great-grandfather did. The curse that Adam and Eve entered us into has been broken, and it's ours today. So y'all stand with me, and let's pray. Father, I don't want to end just out of tradition, and just it's the end of the sermon, so let's say a prayer. So if there's anything that you want to do, have your way and move here today. If there's anyone that needs prayer, Father, let them come to the front or get prayer from someone next to them. If there's someone that needs to receive Christ, Father, I pray that you would give them the boldness to stand up and to raise their hand. And even if it's online somewhere in another time zone, whatever, God, we want you to get in the midst of what is going on in our lives. And we want you to be the predominant preeminent voice and influence and we want to hear what you're saying we want to see what you're doing we want to get pregnant with your words we want to speak your words we want to see your seeds come to fruition and maturity in our lives and we don't want to leave anything on the table so forgive us for any way that we've thought too small or we've thought contrary to what you speak Help us to repent. Repentance is not a condemnation thing. It's just if you're going north and you want to get to Galveston, you got to turn around and go south. Help us to repent. Help us to just expand our thinking, expand our believing, expand and change anything that you want us to and to hear what you're saying in whatever format you want to bring it, bring it to us. We love you. And this, our, this church is committed to obeying what you do and say, even in the midst of a service, that's why sometimes we don't even have sermons, because we just worship you when we feel led to. We love you, God. We believe you are alive, you're on your throne, that you're moving, that you're for us and not against us, and that you've got better things in store for us than what we even know how to ask for. So help us to be like little children and to come and receive. We say yes to you, God. Have your way in us. Let your word become flesh. And... I'm just going to end this prayer with to be continued because there's so much more that you have in store. And God, let this today be the beginning of a new journey of experiencing and entering into it in a way like never before. In Jesus' name, amen.